This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bell one time on Friday. Set participating McDonald's through 12-31-24. Excludes tax must update to rewards. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is George Scott, Editor-in-Chief of Bike Radar, and today I am joined by Simon Von Bromley, Senior Technical Writer on bike radar simon how you doing today hey george yeah really good thanks yeah i'm kind of like quite glad that uh it's a bit cooler in the uk now we, we've just kind of come off the end of a really uh hot and dry period of weather and to be honest i'm quite enjoying the cooler weather that's good yeah yeah we had a blast of what 35 degrees plus uh, a couple of weeks ago and then an, another heat wave before that it's been an unseasonably hot summer um, across the uk and, and particularly here in the southwest but yeah, a little bit more kind of clement now, I suppose you could say, and, and heading into autumn. It's got that kind of autumnal feel in the air, even if it is quite mild. Yeah, it does. And all the leaves are starting to fall off the trees as well, partly because of the heat wave rather than the, the cool weather. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Obviously, as a kind of cyclist who hates a dirty bike, it's it's been amazing to not have to clean my bike uh, at all for the last month. And um, I mean, that's a lie. But you know what I mean? Not <laughs> haven't done it, haven't had to do a deep clean. And of course, we got some great hot weather cycling content out on bikeradar.com. But yeah, I think uh, we're starting to get contact from brands about indoor trainers and indoor training season and what content are we planning for that sort of thing. So yeah, the, the kind of the chill is definitely in the air. And uh, if you if you've been looking forward to riding indoors and staring at a wall, then you're about to get very lucky. I'm sure we'll be, be talking about indoor training and uh, indoor cycling laps on the podcast over over the coming months. But we've, we've spent the first couple of minutes of this podcast in the most British way possible by talking about the weather <laughs> but actually what we are going to talk about and thank you for sticking with us over the, the course of these first couple of minutes because we do love talking about the weather here on Bike Radar because we are British <laughs> but what we want to talk about is road racing it's been a, a busy a busy summer of racing uh, of course Tour de France Vuelta Espagne is just kicking off Tour de France Femme as well um, and we thought you know what a good topic for the podcast to replicate what our mountain bike friend did a couple of months ago and, and have a chat through uh, all the different road race formats that exist and how to get started. And, and Simon, I think it's fair to say you are the most experienced racer on the bike radar team. So I've drafted you in for your expertise. Yeah, that, I think that's probably fair to say. I don't think I don't think anyone should take that as a kind of, it <laughs> doesn't mean I'm any good at it. Uh, <laughs> it would have been good if we'd had uh, former, formerly of this parish, Joe Norledge on, on this podcast. He, he raced to a much higher level than I did. But I, yeah, I have had, uh, yeah, I have done my fair share of racing and um, yeah, I know what it's like to lose. So I can certainly talk well about that. Relatable. I think, that, I think that's, <laughs> that's the key. I mean, we are, we're going to talk through uh, four formats when it comes to, to road racing. And, and I, could use, I can use road racing as a, a broad catch-all term for all the different types of racing that we will cover. But 
One of those formats is road racing itself. Uh, over a longer distance, we'll then talk about criteriums, circuit races over a shorter distance and a shorter duration, time trials, and here we're really getting into Simon's speciality and talking Simon's language, and then hill climbs to, to, to wrap us up. Um, as I said, we do have a podcast on mountain bike race formats. It's a really good listen if that's something you're looking to get into, covering uh, cross-country and enduro and downhill and the like. We also have a podcast on gravel racing. So if that's a scene that you're potentially interested in and, and is a, a burgeoning scene both here in the UK and, and abroad, then check out that one and we'll include a link to both those podcasts in the description to this one. But Simon, let's kind of have a brief word on licenses before we get into formats because this is something that is not necessarily a barrier to entry for people, but it's something to think about if you are looking to get into racing. And these... Uh, the rules around kind of licenses and how you can get started will depend on where you live and your local rules. But I think similar setups and similar kind of regulations exist across multiple countries. So we can talk about the UK and recommend that listeners check their their local governing body. But what's the situation with racing licenses in the UK? So, yeah, that's absolutely right. So for kind of uh, road racing, uh, you and that in terms of is, you know, kind of criteriums, and uh, mass start road races you would need a race license which is um they're given out by british cycling so essentially you need to sign up for a kind of british cycling membership and then on top of that you need to sign up for an additional tier which is you know a race license and um i guess we'll come on to uh categories and you know moving up the ranks but you know you obviously if you're a brand new racer you kind of start at the bottom and and races our mass start road races and criteriums are generally categorized you know for for, for varying uh af- athletes of varying abilities so you start at the bottom and then you kind of work your way up and and but that's how that's how you get into it yeah and 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 as you say i think you know if um all of the, all of the geese governing bodies tend to be kind of affiliated to the uci and therefore those events and your kind of license will be uh, you know, kind of run under you know UCI conditions, and it would be similar in you know USA cycling, I suppose, or you know if you were in France, you would have French cycling, you'd be affiliated to them, uh, and obviously then you would be held accountable to the same rules. So, you know, Geraint Thomas, for example, he will have his Tour de France yellow jersey at home, but also tucked away somewhere, he will have the same British cycling licenses as you and I. I assume so. Yeah, I mean, he would be. You know, you can go up to. You can go onto the British Cycling website, and he's an elite rider, so you know, that's his category. You can have, you know, fourth, third, second, first, and elite. And obviously, like elite becomes quite a big band when we're talking about, you know, Tour de France champions down to kind of maybe you know domestic elite level uh, amateurs. Um, but yeah, he should have, as far as I'm aware, unless he, you know, obviously he lives, you know, if you're domiciled in Monaco, for example, as kind of you know some, a lot of pro cyclists are. I'm not sure about Geraint Thomas, but then he, you know, he may have a kind of racing license from the local federation there for example Mm -hmm. so that covers mass start road racing which would be the first format we talk about and uh, criteriums but you know what happens if i want to rock up to a time trial or a hill climb yeah it's slightly different there And, and, and that's mainly because they're run by in the uk those are run by different bodies um so british cycling does run the the kind of national time trials and obviously if they put on a stage race that may have a time trial but generally for what uh, Brits would describe as time trialing and hill climbs are run by uh, the CTT, which is Cycling Time Trials. They're a kind of separate organisation who are not affiliated to the UCI and you you don't need a licence um, to race those. You basically have to just sign up for an account with Cycling Time Trials and that doesn't cost anything. And then you can just uh, kind of enter time trials you know, as, and, as and when you like. Good. Well, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why those two forms of racing are perhaps more accessible than others. Um, there's a couple of other reasons, but we'll we'll come on to those when we sp- speak about time trials and hill climbs specifically. But let's start with road racing, mass start road racing, as you described it. So, you know, what is it? What am I talking about when I when I say the word or the phrase mass start road racing? So, you know, mass start road racing kind of describes itself in the sense that you know you start as a a mass, a bunch, a peloton. And you're racing on uh, roads now. Uh, in, in the UK, um, unless you're racing at a very high level, those won't be kind of uh, closed roads. So you'll have um, a kind of rolling road closure where you, we have permission from the kind of local authorities and the police to kind of uh, use uh, marshals 
on motorbikes and Marsh was standing by the side of the road to kind of, you know, stop traffic, to allow the bunch to go past junctions and all of that sort of stuff. But you're racing around a, a kind of looped circuit most most normally rather than a kind of point to point. And yeah, it's it's a kind of long distance long distance race with a kind of big bunch you know you, you might have sort of 50 60 plus riders depending on the on the road race how popular it is yeah it's it's first person to cross the finish line at the end of the race mm. I mean, what's, what's your experience here how much road racing have you done um so i haven't done much in the last few years but when i uh, lived in london in a in a previous life i got up to uh, sort of second category and um you know i i i, I, I kind of peaked out at uh, national b level races which are um you know, pretty small fry in the grand scheme of things, but uh, national, as you know, national B are kind of as as you say, they're kind of on a like a national league table, I suppose. And you know, they had national A standard races in which you would have had kind of you know, semi-professional riders and things like that. But obviously, yeah, I think once I kind of stepped up to that level, I realised you know didn't really have the talent and didn't really have the same kind of time to race again to dedicate to training to race against people who, you know probably you know in all reality were f- far more talented and, and dedicated and tactically astute than I was so uh, yeah that's kind of as high as I got really I think you're doing yourself a disservice to, to even get to that level is a, an accomplishment in itself um, I mean you mentioned earlier about the, the category system and structure in the UK and as I said at the top similar setups will exist elsewhere but the, the kind of terminology might be different in the country where you live but in the UK as you said Simon you start at category four and then go through three two one elite but if I'm starting racing, how do I uh, aspire to move through the categories? What do I need to do to to go from cat four to cat three? So it, it you know it's uh, all about scoring points basically. Uh, I don't know if um, it has changed significantly in the last few years, but it used to just be that you needed kind of ten points to move up from category four to category three, you know, and then it's a kind of like a sliding scale upwards as you need ever more points. You need to accumulate ever more points to move up from category three to two and then two to one, and then two to elite. And you have to then maintain a certain amount of points every year uh, to uh, you know, to keep your category license. So if you want to be an elite rider, you have to maintain a, a score of a certain amount of points every year to maintain that license. Now, you, know, you score points via finishing places in, in road races. So obviously, you, know, you get the most points for a win, and you know, you'll get more points for a winning a higher tiered race than you would for you know so if you go out obviously as a category four rider you can typically only be allowed to enter races with other fourth category riders or sometimes category three category four riders if they you know they need to make up the numbers Uh, but you wouldn't typically be able to enter you know a race that also contained elites but once you move up to category three you have a lot more options and, and often you know national b races will be you know elite one two three but obviously, as a third category rider, you might not have a good chance of being accepted. <laughs> uh, your entry might not be accepted if that event is oversubscribed, for example. So, uh, you know, obviously, because you know, cycling is a very physical sport and you could be really, really amazing. You could, you know, you could go through category four in kind of one one race if you want it. And then, you know, you move up straight up to category three and you could be really, really strong and, you know, be quite capable of... Um, you know, hanging with the bunch, especially if you've been riding with a club. So it, it you're not necessarily barred from the higher races, but, you know, obviously it's it's kind of difficult to get an entry into something like the Tour of Britain, for example, <laughs> if you're a category three, even though, you know, in theory, the Tour of Britain doesn't accept elite one, two, three, that's an invitational race. But, in you know, national Bs, national As, you know, you can enter those races via British Cycling or Rider HQ and, or other similar websites. And I imagine in other other countries it you know it might be similar like i i did a race in um I did one race in france with my local club and you know we just kind of went over on the ferry with a kind of letter of permission from british british cycling saying we were you know had permission to race abroad and and you know they let us in and i know a lot of a kind of a bit of a rite of passage for many aspiring young riders is to go over to belgium and maybe race a commerce or or a race and so you don't have to be necessarily an elite rider to do that type of thing as long as you kind of, you know, know where to look and, you know, where to enter and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You mentioned there the, the need to kind of retain your status as you move up the categories, but 
I think I'm right in saying when you move from a four to a three, you can't get relegated back down to a four. Is that right? Yeah, that is right. So yeah, so if I so if I went and renewed my uh, race license now, um, I would still be a third cat, even though I haven't raced in a long time. And I think it's because you know fourth category is essentially kind of like for for beginners, and it's it's supposed to act as kind of an introductory uh, category for riders. And then yeah, you know third category is the kind of the you know the kind of floor from that point. Well, yeah, as, as we said, categories cover both um, mass start road racing and criterions, which we'll come on to. But if I wanted to enter a mass start road race for the first time, what kind of courses are we looking at? And you know, this is clearly dictated partly by where you live and the terrain and so on. But what what kind of uh, you know distance are we going to be covering? And you know, what can I expect when I turn up on the line? Um, so at the lower end, you'd probably be looking at kind of around 60 to 80 kilometers. And then they obviously, you know, as, as the kind of racing categories get higher and the category of race, obviously the distance increases in order to, you know, simply make it a more competitive race. Um, as you say, the kind of the terrain of the course is largely going to be determined by where you live. Now, when I raced in, in London, that meant I did lots of racing in Surrey where there was the, uh, the Surrey League series. Uh, which was a very well-run local uh, road race series. Now, if anyone's ridden around Surrey, you'll kind of know that means, you know, lots of kind of <laughs> bad quality roads with, sh- you know, short, sharp climbs, you know, sort of fast, twisty descents and lots of, you know, tight tight corners and that sort of thing. In the UK, you're because the roads are not closed, you're generally constricted to racing on the side of the road uh, that you drive on and you, it doesn't mean you don't get the full width of the road and obviously you need to be very careful about going on to the other side of the road because you know it, it's obviously incredibly dangerous because there'll be on, on oncoming traffic but it's also be a, a potential disqualification <laughs> so you do need to be very careful about that but um but yeah generally it would be kind of looped circuits of you know maybe sort of 10 kilometers or something like that and you would just do kind of laps of this circuit and and often they would try to you know, finish on top of a climb or something like that to kind of make the finish a bit more competitive and often you know to be frank slow the finish down a bit because you know we all know how kind of dangerous <laughs> uh, bunch sprints can be mm-hmm. and you know i think the burning question that um is in the back of most people's minds when they are thinking about starting races is am i going to be dropped so clearly this depends on the fitness of the person involved but you know what's the the kind of starting standard if there is such a thing yeah, it, it's a really tricky one because I would say that if you are riding with a club and you're going on kind of, you know, reasonably nippy group rides with that club, you're probably of a perfectly decent standard to start road racing. You know, when I lived in London, there were lots of people who would come over uh, from other sports such as um, rowing or, you know, even triathletes who wanted to maintain their fitness and things like that by doing a bit of road racing. And those people, you you know, were incredibly fit, for example, and they had the fitness to race straight away because they had come over from other sports. So, you, you know, you because, um, because you start, you know, because it's a mass start event, you spend a lot of your time, if you're smart, drafting. And so the kind of energy requirements to stay in the bunch are not as... Uh, they're not as bad as you as you might kind of think uh, if you're good at holding the wheel and don't mind kind of rubbing elbows with other people. So I would say it's less of a kind of, you know, if I was going to encourage someone to take up racing, I would say focus less on the fitness, which if, you know, if you're riding a lot and, and you take your cycling seriously enough to consider racing, the kind of big problem is more likely going to be, you know, are you comfortable riding in a bunch? Are you happy sitting in the middle of, you know, 25, 30 other people so that you get that good draft? Because, it doesn't really matter how, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're fit enough, you can kind of overcome anything. But but if you're, the point at which you struggle will be that point at which, you know, if you're not comfortable riding in that bunch, you're going to kind of filter out to the back. And then, you know, if someone in front of you lets the wheel go, it becomes incredibly difficult to then keep closing those gaps down to the bunch. You know, obviously, we see, if you've seen the Tour de France, there are some riders who sit on the back of the bunch all day. And and it it looks very easy, but in reality, that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And for a lot of those riders, if they get caught behind a crash, that that's kind of race over. So really, it's a kind of I think it's more of a skill thing. And if you're looking to work on those skills, I would I would join a club. 
Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And, you know, you mentioned tactics there and I've, I've kind of covered the basics in terms of what someone getting into road racing might need to think about. But as you kind of become more competitive, the, you know, the tactics become more complex. But, you know, what should someone be thinking about if they want to perhaps move up to the, the kind of pointy end of a Cat 4 race? So, you know, the kind of, and this, as I said earlier, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm far from the most successful road racer ever, but kind of with a older head on my shoulders now looking back, I didn't spend enough time uh, learning how and working to, working on my sprint, you know, all races in, I'm a very skinny guy. And so I kind of, and I like time trialing. So I kind of thought like, well, you know, what I'll do is I'll time trial away on the, on the climbs and then, you know, I'll win solo and it'll be fine. You know, that'll be my tactic. But of course, the odds of winning solo against a bunch of, you know, it doesn't matter how big the bunch is, but if they're bigger than the one or two or three that you are in that breakaway, the odds are always in their favour because it's just, you know, it's you know, 20 riders versus one or two. The maths is, is, is very easy. And it's not like pro racing where kind of people are in the bunch thinking, oh, I might not chase that down. Everyone in <laughs> in amateur road racing is very keen to chase breaks down because you know this is their big moment and they all want to win um so i would say you know remember that most things end in a sprint and so if that, if that's going to be the the case if you're trying to score points and move up a category you know you don't have to win to score points there are you know if there's 10 points for a win there might be seven for second place and and seven is you know still really good so you can afford to kind of sit tight in the bunch save your energy and and kind of go for the sprint at the end or just follow moves you know it, you don't have to be the one kind of making the moves you know if you've ever raced on Zwift for example most people will know that the start of Zwift races can be incredibly hard it's often not really like that in in well it wasn't when I was racing maybe it's changed but it often wasn't quite so similar in road racing that's more of a criterion thing where you get that really hard fast start and actually like in a kind of long distance road racing you know, if you burn all your energy off in the first hour you're very unlikely to finish in a good place so it's kind of all about you know you want to train hard and then race easy you want to conserve energy all the time and and as i say i'm, I'm saying this as someone who didn't do this and I, you know i used to get perennially get bored in road racing and after about an hour of sitting in the bunch I'd feel like oh, you know I just I'll just open the legs you know I'll go with the, <laughs> we'll go with the next move you know we'll go with the next move I'm not a sprinter I don't need to be in the bunch we'll go you know we'll get up the road get up the road you know and and of course like you get up the road you're sitting in the you're sitting up the road for an hour in a small group pulling through with some ex-rower who's doing 450 watts every time they pull through and then you know come the third hour of the race you're knackered <laughs> out the back and out the back and back 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 in the car yeah back through the bunch and you know then you're oh i've not you know i've not got i've not got anything out of this race other than you know obviously other than having a good time but um but yeah i, I would say kind of racing conservative conservatively is usually the smarter tactic mm -hmm. there you go patience and i think something you said earlier around uh joining a club is also a very good piece of advice i think if you're looking to get into racing because um there will be lots of experience most likely within that club of people who've trod a similar path and also just a really good way to gain experience riding in a group the skills you need um and just picking up the fitness that comes through riding regularly so you know we've covered road racing there let's move on to criteriums the, the kind of the second main format when it comes to uh races here in the uk governed by british cycling so you know what is a, a criterium simon because um fans of professional cycling might have heard of the criterium de dauphine but you know this is a very different style of racing to a, a stage race Yes, Gen generally when um, we talk about criteriums, we mean kind of closed circuit, short races. Um, they, you know, they're very popular in America at the moment, for example, um, but they also have you know good popularity here in the UK. Uh, often you will have a kind of 
uh, midweek criterion, for example, I used to really enjoy racing at Crystal Palace in South London, uh, which is a, gr- a really great criterion around Crystal Palace Park on the kind of uh, old motor racing circuit that, that's there. But there was there are also places like Hog Hill, there's Hillingdon. You know, if you live in the West Country, you might know uh, Odd Down in Bath, for example. There's uh, Lee Valley uh, Park at the uh, kind of Olympic Velodrome in London and you know there are various places around the country and obviously the advantage of racing these is that you know they're on clo- they're on a closed circuit so you don't you know you don't have to worry about kind of traffic and things like that so generally they're safer although you know you might get the old dog walker <laughs> <laughs> who lets their dog off a lead um but the racing is typically a lot more intense because the races are usually shorter you know around the kind of maximum duration of an hour and especially the kind of midweek ones they might do kind of you know 45 minutes plus you know five laps or something like that um because you know you're kind of you're doing it after work and you're you're doing it before the sun, kind of sun goes down and makes it so that you're not hopefully not sprinting in the dark um the fitness required is a different type of fitness in the sense that because it's only an hour you know most the racing is is then kind of exponentially harder because no one's saving energy really you know obviously it's easy to burn all your matches in within 15 minutes if you really try hard enough but but you don't have to save energy for the third hour or the, or the fourth hour of racing so the racing tends to be a very fast start because the circuits are often kind of quite tight often quite short with sharp turns and so that means bunch positioning becomes very critical you can't sprint for the win from the back of the bunch for example because you know the kind of the finishing straight might only be you know 50 meters from the last corner for example so if you want to win that race you you have to go into that last corner in kind of third or fourth wheel you know at most so the the fitness and and the standard of a kind of race skill there is is slightly different um and requires kind of your training to be tilted towards doing those kind of you know uh, being able to like go into a, a very sharp turn and then sprint out of it to you know to hold the wheel in front of you uh so it, it's much more like a kind of over unders training ride for example mm-hmm. and anyone who's done um a chain gang for example with, with a club you know that that's a kind of type of riding that's very applicable to criteriums yeah absolutely and you know if we're talking about how would you get started in a criterium then you know as we as we said earlier now well i'm a big fan of the kind of club system uh, in in the UK and, I, and I'm sure it works this way in, in other countries as well that if, if you if you're not sure how to get started the best way is to is to join a club try a chain gang get some advice from local races you know and, and you know it also gives you uh, teammates to go along with as well which is always very useful because you know if you're racing on your own you've got no one to kind of like look after you in the bunch no one to you know help you get back on if, if a kind of the bunch splits up and, and just friendly face yeah as well. a friend a friendly face in the bunch is always nice you know if you get in a break with someone you don't know anyone like it's, it's much harder to convince them to work with you whereas if you kind of know a few people you know that when you kind of sort of you know kind of w- w- waggle your finger in a kind of circular motion they're much more likely to respond <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean i i see uh criteriums and, and i'm kind of speaking as someone who's done a few but you know very little racing as a whole, I see criteriums as a more accessible route into racing compared to mass start road racing. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. You know, mainly because because they're kind of shorter, you don't have to have that uh, kind of big endurance base that is really helpful in a road race. You know, if you're doing mass start road races that are, you know, 80 or, you know, 100 kilometers long, you know, that in order to kind of be competitive at the end of a 100 kilometer race where you might have had to you know, follow a couple of breaks, close down an attack. You do need a kind of, you know, a lot of fitness for that if if you really want to be competitive. Whereas, you know, a criterium, because it's shorter and quite quite intense, you you know, you can replicate that training with shorter, less investment in time. And yeah, because they're not on an open road, you don't have that kind of the kind of bunches tend to be a bit smaller, and you don't have that kind of interaction potential interaction with traffic and. You know, the road surfaces on road races can often be very varied, especially in the UK, you know, with, with kind of potholes. You know, we all know what the local roads in the UK are like, whereas on a criterium circuit, because it's not, you know, it's, it's a closed circuit and the, these circuits are generally not open to cars. The surfaces are generally much better and you're less likely to kind of you know, have a crash or get a puncture from 
uh, you know, a kind of imperfection in the road. Now, you know, if if you're when you're when you're doing your first criteriums, I, I would say it's perfectly normal to find the kind of opening adrenaline rush of ten minutes off the line incredibly intense and and to kind of get spat out the back and then think, oh, you know, maybe this isn't for me. But it, it, that again, I think that's not necessarily always a, a fitness problem. It's more of a kind of bunch racing problem. And you know, those are people who may have done e racing on on Zwift or other similar platforms will kind of be more familiar with that like intense effort off the line where everyone's kind of really pumped up and and you know and really raring to go but then after kind of 10 minutes everyone looks around and goes oh you know uh, you know okay someone else can come through now you know I've, I've done a bit on the front and someone else can come through so it does kind of calm down settles into a bit more of a rhythm and then if you can get over that first kind of 10 minutes move up through the bunch kind of you know, maybe get involved in in a kind of move, then it then it does tend to calm down a little bit. Mm. And I think you know, generally, you know, it's worth saying racing can appear and and often is you know a, a kind of fairly intimidating space. You know, particularly for someone who is starting out, and that's you know that is one of the reasons why joining a, a club or kind of trying to buddy up with an existing racer or a pal that's into racing is a, is a good thing. But also, you know, I don't want to describe it as a rite of passage because that's that's wrong. But as Simon said, most most people do get dropped when they start racing and you know that that of course isn't always a pleasant experience but there is also a fairly i think for most people find a fairly steep learning curve from the first race to the second and the second and, and the third around not just the fitness but as you say the skills and the tactics and just what you need to be prepared for so obviously if you don't enjoy it then um don't go back but i think for a lot of people you know if you stick with it then you'll you'll kind of find it a lot easier the second or third time yeah, like, you know, for, for example, at uh, Crystal Palace, it, it, you know, it starts with a kind of 50 meter sprint into a hair, an off camber hairpin turn. And so the kind of key with that race, I realized quite quickly was getting to the start line early enough to be in the front row, and then being good at clipping in. So the, the two key skills for that race were being good at getting off the line and clipping in quickly, and then t- being able to take a hairpin turn. And if you could do that, you know, you kind of ended up in the top 10, top 15 and you could just kind of follow the wheels. And, you know, as long as you kind of made sure, you know, you kept your elbows out and made sure no one came past you in the opening laps, you were kind of in a good position. But when I, you know, the first few times I did that, you know, you think, oh, I'm a bit sheepish. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'll, I'll start at the back, you know, where I have plenty of drafting. But, you know, you may have seen kind of commentators on describing pro racing at kind of, you know, when the elastic snaps. Well, you, if, you're at, if you're right at the back, you know, if, if someone kind of in front of you struggles to, you know, they just struggle to clip in, you know, they don't catch their pedal the right way up. Not necessarily because they're a bad rider or whatever, but, you know, we've all kind of gone off from a traffic light and caught our pedal, our clip in pedal the wrong way up. And, you know, there's just that momentary delay in clipping in could could be a, could mean a gap opens up mm-hmm. and then you've all of a sudden you've got to go around that person and then if someone in in the next person then maybe has to make a slight correction in the corner or or breaks too much because they've you know they've dived into that corner too hard that's another gap mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're making lots of efforts and it's not that you're not fit enough it's just that the, the efforts in order to then even if you then make it back onto the bunch in order to be competitive and even think about going with any of the moves off the front you've got to get past people and on a kind of tight twisty criterion course there may not be many places for you to pass so if there's a kind of back straight where everyone knows that oh, this is the best place to move up well everyone's trying to move up mm. <laughs> and and so it it's often it's not necessarily as i said about pure fitness you know certainly when i raced i was never the biggest power output guy uh, and i and i will never be that person but i i you know you do quite quickly realize that you can make up for a, a lack of power if you're if you're well positioned and you know this sounds you know people this is a real cliche but you know mark cavendish is certain you know certainly never put out any records on a on a power meter or on ergo trainer and famously that you know a lot of people told him to kind of you know he will never be an elite rider but you know he's one of the most successful cyclists of all time and and so you know whilst being able to produce massive watts certainly is never you know it's never a kind of something you you wouldn't want to be able to do 
it isn't necessarily the be all and end all. Mm. And, and you, as you mentioned, you know, previously that the, the, the course is important as well. And as you said, typically criterium courses are tight and, and twisty, but even within that, there's real variation. So, you know, you mentioned Crystal Palace renowned as being a very technical circuit. Um, and I'm kind of talking about some of the, the kind of well-known criterium circuits in, in the kind of southeast of the UK here. But, you know, Hog Hill, for example, there's, there's a hill every lap. So it's a very different style of racing where there's a, a kind of a, sp- a sprint up the hill every every few minutes. Uh, you know, Hillingdon is a, a course that's renowned for en- ending in a, in a bunch sprint. So it's, it's very fast and positioning into the sprint is, is really key. So, you know, where you're racing does matter. And again, go down, get stuck in, watch some racing, ask others. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you can pick up a lot of uh, helpful kind of tips and, and tactics in your, in your first couple of uh, hit outs. Um, cool. Well, let's move on to, to time trials now. So a, a very different style of racing. And anyone who's listened to the podcast in, in recent times, Simon, will know that you are a keen time trialist. Um, but here, you know, we go from mass start racing in the case of uh, road races and criteriums to races that start as an individual. So... You know, for the uninitiated, can you give us a brief summary of what it's like to turn up at a time trial on a, a kind of a, a local scene or club time trial here in the UK? Uh, yeah, so you know, time trials are, as as you say, kind of like my current uh, favoured event. And if you turn up to a local time trial in the UK, it usually involves turning up at a kind of lay-by off of a B road, and you'll see a kind of you know a wide range of various people for, of all ages and sizes. Uh, getting you know silly bikes with uh, pointy handlebars out of their car and squeezing themselves into the kind of smallest skin suit possible putting on a teardrop shaped helmet and then basically just kind of you know riding out and back a b road or um you know riding a kind of local local circuit and you know i'm i'm sure most people listening to this podcast know what a time trial is but just in case a time trial is you just race on your own against the clock and at the end of the kind of at the end of all participants having had their go the person who wins is the person who has the fastest time mm-hmm. and uh you know whilst in in kind of professional racing we see time trials of all kinds of distances here in the uk 10 mile time trials and 25 mile time trials are most common that's right yeah and then if you're really want to get into it or you know you're just you know a particularly good endurance athlete you can you can enter 50 mile time trials you can enter 100 mile time trials or you know you can even have a go at kind of 12 hour 24 hour that kind of thing but um, i'm shaking shaking my head <laughs> yeah yeah those, those sorts of things aren't for me personally i kind of i quite like the the quick blast of a of a 10 and 25 because you can kind of you know really go for it you feel like you're really you're not holding anything back whereas i think with it once you get to beyond uh you know 50 100 miles you know naturally by the kind of nature of the event they they take a lot longer and you just you know i I, for me i feel like i'm having to kind of hold a lot back all the time and you know they they just kind of feel a bit dull but that is a completely uh personal opinion and i know you know that the 50 mile time trial some people really really love it and the 100 mile time trial some people go very very fast and they're not holding anything back and it's it's you know and presumably they have a lot more fun mm. well let's let's talk about 10 mile time trials because that's kind of typically the shortest distance that we see on a regular basis and you know probably the most accessible route into to time trialing um i mean to uh, kind of to go back to the point on on licenses you don't need a british cycling license to turn up to a, a kind of regular kind of club run event so, you know, TT is very accessible from that point of view. But I think also the fact that you're not starting in a bunch, you can't get dropped, you're racing against yourself. Clearly, there's a kind of competitive element against the field as a whole. But I think the fact that you are looking to you try and improve your time from week to week or from one event to the next is a key draw for most people. Yeah, I think what most people like about time trialing in this country is that you're essentially racing yourself. And because of that, there isn't a kind of minimum standard required for entry because... You know, the minimum standard is just whatever you are now. And as you, as you say, you know, for some people that, that minimum standard might be enough to be competitive for the win. But if not, it doesn't really matter. And, you know, there isn't a kind of most people when you turn up, you know, obviously everyone is interested in who won and who did a fast time. But it isn't kind of a that isn't the big thing for most people. Most people are not there because they believe they have a chance of, at winning. Uh, whereas in a road race, I think most people who are competing, you know, typically they think, well, I could be competitive here. Whereas with with time trialing, 
you know, it really is, you know, it could be 75% of the field or, you know, maybe even more simply kind of doing, you know, riding their own race and trying to kind of uh, improve upon their own performance. Mm. It's, you know, it's, I think, a very, I think turning up to anything that's new to start with can feel intimidating as we kind of touched on, but, you know, time trials, I think, are very open, friendly places to have a crack at competitive cycling. Um, so yeah, I, I would definitely encourage anyone to get down to the local time trial and, and, and give it a go. Um, I mean, you did talk briefly, Simon, about you know some of the more specialist equipment that surrounds time trials. You know, we've, we've, of course, we see it in professional racing all the time. But you know, pointy helmets, time trial bikes, disc wheels, and so on. But you can you know, any, any bike is a time trial bike to to affect in a in a local race, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, if you turn up to the uh... The Chew Valley Lake time trial hosted by my wonderful club, Bristol South Cycling Club. You know, if you're lucky enough, you might see Joe Norledge riding that on a mountain bike, a cross-country mountain bike. You know, a very nice cross-country mountain bike, but, you know, it's certainly not the <laughs> the fastest choice possible. We, You know, we've seen people riding it on uh, racing tandems, on normal tandems. You know, you could ride it on a road bike if that's the bike you have. You could ride it on a time trial bike if that's the bike you have. You know, obviously, if you want to be kind of competing for the win then that does determine that you're you know you're most likely going to need a, a time trial bike unless you can supply enough power to overcome that kind of aerodynamic difference and there you know aren't too many people who can then you probably will need a time trial bike there is a bit of an arms race at the top of the sport as a result um but if you're only bothered about kind of improving on your own standard then whatever bike you have is perfectly adequate mm. i mean let's let's kind of chat briefly about tactics because as, as a kind of solo event for the most part there are kind of um two person and three person and team time trials but predominantly this is a solo event are there any tactics or do you just kind of go out off the gun and ride as hard as you can i mean yeah to to, to you know to a it by and large that that kind of is it, it it's how hard can you turn the pedals for the duration of the event uh, you know, things start to get complicated if the course is complicated. You know, if it's a kind of general out and back along a B road, you know, it's going to be two. If, you, if you're doing a kind of, you know, 10 mile time trial, it's going to take you, you know, obviously it'll take the fastest people, maybe sub 20 minutes, maybe some of the slower people, 25 to 30 minutes. It, you, you could separate that race out into kind of two 10 to 15 minute intervals. And you're probably going to want to ride those, you know, as as kind of smoothly as possible because you know if you're going too hard you're gonna you know you might have to like slow down and recover for a bit but you know so they're separated by a little turn at the roundabout for example you just kind of ride back as hard as you can if you're on a circuit with with hills and descents then it's it gets a bit trickier because you know you you might want to pedal a bit harder on the uphill because inevitably you're going to have to you know, not pedal so hard on the downhill just because it's it's easier to pedal harder uphill. You get a bit more bang for your buck out of pedaling a little bit harder on the uphill and then you can recover a little bit on the downhill. It starts to become more tactical if there is a significant wind. You know, if you're riding, if you're riding an out and back and there's a kind of really tough headwind one way, that might affect the way you ride it. But yeah, it's like... At its most basic, it's a kind of it. You want to put it in the kind of maximum effort you can sustain for the duration of the event. And the kind of Chris Boardman always had a very nice analogy where he was kind of the, the way to know. Obviously, you know, you can have a power meter and you can sort of think that you know that oh, I can do X watts for X minutes, and, that, and therefore that's what I'm going to do. But the kind of you don't really need that. The way to know whether you're on the right effort is you kind of ask yourself this question is this effort sustainable for the you know the remaining duration of the race and the answer you're looking for is a maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> if it's yes you're you're going yeah, too easy and... exactly if it's yes you're going too easy and if the answer is no then you're going too hard and you need to kind of back it off so you know it's it's often it's about knowing your body and just getting used to that kind of uh the kind of consistency and persistence of that effort because there's no drafting and there's no bunch you know it, you don't get to take it easy at any point 
you know and and that's either that's just what it is that's either an advantage or a disadvantage depending on how you kind of look at it you know it means that none of your competitors will get a draft either so if you pedal the bike harder than them and you know you're in a kind of similarly or more aerodynamic position then you ought to go faster so you get out of it what you put in in a way which is quite nice whereas with road racing there can be an element of randomness you know if the guy in front of you has a puncture <laughs> and then you get dropped off the back of the bunch because of you know you've had to slow down and break and get around you know that you it doesn't really matter how hard you've trained if you get caught up in a in a crash or you just kind of like the attack that you go with doesn't really work and then the next one does but you're too tired to follow you know there's there's a kind of huge element of randomness in criterions and road racing whereas in time trials you know by and large depending on bad luck and things like that you tend to get out of it what you put in Mm, yeah as you say like a real kind of good a real good personal test and you know even if you haven't done a time trial you know it's very likely if you've been riding a a bike for a, a decent amount of time that you've done a time trial type effort whether that's on an indoor training platform you know riding as hard as you can up out to zwift or um, you know, a five or ten minute effort in a training session, or or a, a chain gang, and you know, it's it's basically that kind of threshold type effort. If you are familiar with the the kind of training terminology, um, so yeah, as we say, really accessible. You know, we're kind of coming into the end of time trial season here in the UK, but you know, it typically starts what kind of early spring. Uh, I mean, you know, I think if you go on the CTT website, you could probably race from February. Although, obviously, squeezing into a kind of a lightweight skin suit in February is not something that I'm particularly keen on. I, I really suffer from the cold, but um, but yeah, usually I mean you, know, you can usually race all year round if you're really desperate to. But I think for most people, it's a kind of March until September sort of thing. Mm. Two final things to mention actually related to um, time trials. You know, firstly, there are some time trials that take place on closed road circuits. So um, again, talking about some of the the well known circuits in in London, I know there used to be a time trial series at Hillingdon which is you know a great way to get into time trial and if you don't want to race on on the road even if it is a time trial that's a that's a good thing to look out for if you've got a, a circuit race circuit close to you and going back to criteriums actually there are also kind of lots of clubs or, or coaches or circuit race venues that put on training races for criterium racing to work on um bike handling around tight corners or hairpins and, and you know, working in the bunch and, and riding in close quarters to other people in a, in a kind of race scenario. So, um, you know, two um, potential routes into criteriums and, and time trials that perhaps are more accessible than just kind of diving in at the at the deep end. Uh, cool. Well, let's move on to our, our final race format that we're going to cover today, and that's hill climb. So, you know, a hill climb in simple terms is an uphill time trial but there's there's kind of more to it than that when we're looking at the, the kind of differences isn't there yeah the, the, the kind of the, the particular quirk of the kind of uk hill climb scene is that obviously you know we're, this isn't a mountainous country in general and so most of the kind of hill climbs that we have hill climb races that we have here tend to be very short so they're a kind of particular particularly kind of brutal event in the in the sense that you know you just go off the line and and you're just trying to pour out as many watts per kilo as you possibly can for you know generally five five minutes maybe maybe even less sometimes a bit more and and it is just you know fast fastest from a to b mm. yeah i think that kind of the the duration is one of the i mean actually when you think about it, there are lots of differences between you know, conventional time trials and, and hill climbs, but the duration is uh, a key one. And, you know, you are calling on, on a different type of fitness when you're going as hard as you can for five minutes versus 20 or, or 30 or, or even 40 minutes. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, it can't... Horrible? It, yeah, I was going to say painful effort. You know, some people, you know, as, as I kind of mentioned him already, Joe Norlidge, formerly of this parish, you know, was a particularly gifted hill climber. You know, not only was he you know very fit in his kind of pomp but he also just has that uh kind of ability or mindset that he can dig very very deep within himself you know if i talk to him about you know what kind of indoor training have you been doing you know maybe i'll have been on zwift doing some you know group rides or you know some train interval training sessions or whatever whereas joe has a kind of you know a, a, a trainer in his shed and he just stares at the wall and kind of you know annihilates himself for half an hour (laughs) you know doing the kind of short sharp intervals that this sort of thing requires now for me that you know i'm just not that kind of person 
But if you are that type of person, then hill climbs, you know, can be great. And there, there is a real camaraderie around hill climbs as well. Similarly to, similarly with time trials, you know, a lot of people sort of turn up not because they think they're going to be competitive, but because they enjoy the scene. And, you know, because hill climbs tend to be short, you often get other racers and kind of people who, you know, maybe family and friends turning out to kind of line the course so, you know, you know when you, know, you watch a pro race and, you know, they go up outdoors and, you know, there's fans banging pots and sort of things like that. This is, you know, as an amateur, this is the kind of closest you'll get to that sort of experience. And, it, you know, it can be if you race the kind of the Beck, the Beck Hill Climb in South London, for example, you might get a really, really big crowd because that's a very famous and prestigious event. It, it, it's a, They are very, very accessible. Obviously, with a kind of hill climb event, it's all about, you know, generally, what's per kilo, rolling resistance of your tyres, that sort of thing. Aerodynamics isn't such a big deal on a, on most of the steep courses, although it might still play a small effect and maybe worth worrying about to a small degree. But the kind of weight weenie culture within hill climbing is really, really strong. Mm. So you'll see people with lots of crazy, you know, lightweight bikes that they, you know, not necessarily very expensive bikes, but bikes that they have kind of customised to the nth degree with, you know, lightweight carbon fibre saddles that they brought from, you know, aliexpress or amazon or ebay or whatever and you know derailers with drilled out parts shifters with the internals for the kind of front derailleur removed because you've converted your bike to a one by setup and you know you've shortened the chain down so that it can only you know maybe you've taken off half your cassette because you've decided for this hill wow i really really need these four gears and i don't really need i don't need my 11 speed you know so there's a kind of diy culture to hill climbing that if you enjoy that kind of weight weenie thing and that kind of camaraderie of seeing all the kind of interesting bikes and kind of homegrown style, you'll really, really enjoy if you like. If, mm. And hill climbing, I would very much recommend. Yeah, and, and they're, they're fun races as well just to turn up to as a spectator. You, you know, you kind of said that you get people turn out and, you know, you ring in cowbells and banging pots and pans and basically just kind of shouting at people up the road. And, you know, it is... It is good fun if you've got a local hill climb to to ride out there, turn out, you know, shout at people as they're kind of about to um, throw up over the handlebars yeah. as they get to the top of the climb, and and, in, and you know, and enjoy the atmosphere and the and the experience, and you know that kind of you know it can be quite a, a quirky scene, and I say that kind of um, with affection around the 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 kind of the the tech and um, you know the lengths that people go to to drop weight out of their bike, and and similar in a similar fashion when you get to the the real sharp end of time trials as well, and where aerodynamics kind of takes precedence over over weight as it does in hill climbs. So yeah, it's a really interesting scene. But you know, whilst we've spoken a bit about you know what it takes to be competitive at the top end in terms of fitness and and kind of mentality and equipment, you know, similar to to time trials, it is also very accessible. You don't need to be a member of British Cycling. There are here in the UK, and it is quite a UK-specific scene, there are lots of local events and you are racing yourself. So whilst most people, when they start uh, or get on the, the the start line of a hill climb and, and kind of pin a number on, find that kind of inner strength to test themselves, ultimately it's up to you how hard and how fast you go. And for a lot of people, that's just a case of finishing the climb and doing the best you can. And then clearly for a small number of people, it's about competing for the win. So... Um, yeah, it can be horrible, but there's there's kind of a I don't like to use the phrase kind of glory and suffering, but I think in in the kind of hill climb scene, you know, that kind of um that kind of personal test is, you know, part of the appeal for a lot of people regardless of the standard that you're that you're at. Yeah, I I think it it's not necessarily that like the suffering is uh necessarily glorious as as Rafa would have used to have said. It's more that it's kind of fun. I think there's a certain <laughs> twisted fun in in you know as you said like pushing yourself to that point uh where you're kind of keel over you know often often at these events they'll have a few marshals on standby by the finish line to catch riders you know because everyone gives everything that they have you know for for even even if they know that they're not going to be competitive everyone gives absolutely everything right to the line until they literally have nothing more and then they kind of fall off the bike at the end these events are fun we should <laughs> emphasize yeah but but as as you kind of said you know these people are doing this by choice you know there's no you know, there's no money even if you're kind of winning right there's not really any money on the line like the, you, know, you might you might get 
10 pounds 20 pounds in an envelope it's not fish gonna, and chip money i think it's yeah it's, yeah it's not gonna pay it's not gonna pay for the for your for the next pinarello um so everyone everyone's kind of doing it by choice and i think uh, as you kind of said it, it's part of that kind of camaraderie of you know you you sort of do your effort and then you know you kind of once you've recovered you head halfway down the hill pick up your cowbell or your pot in your pan put a little jacket on and then run up after the next 25 people sort of screaming encouragement in their ears banging your pot and pan as the kind of you know the person on the bike you know is in the kind of throng of regret having you know five minutes into a, an absolutely max effort and is dying over the bike and swinging from left to right and then you know you finish the effort and you know you talk about oh my you know my wheel slipped here oh, i missed the gear change here it didn't quite work or like you know oh i just you know i'm not fit enough i've not been training i've been really busy at work <laughs> and then you go back to the hq and pay your 50p for a cup of tea and a slice of cake and yeah. talk about the weather as we started this podcast exactly and then you do it all again the next week and that you do um <laughs> i think we kind of covered everything there simon in terms of the, the four main um road cycling race formats you know we haven't talked about cyclocross which you could um certainly potentially throw into this it's another kind of drop bar race format but we'll, we'll save that for another day we'll draft jack evans our resident cyclocross racer on the bike radar team into that one and we'll, we'll do that fairly soon because cross is coming as they say <laughs> um and we've hopefully covered you know some of the kind of key things you need to know and some of the tips that one might um take into racing if you're just getting started but is there any other kind of advice that you want to give anyone who's thinking about dipping their toe in I'll just reiterate that, you know, I think the best place to start for all of these would be to to access someone who has experience with it. And, and I think the best place to look for that would be a local club. Uh, there will always be someone willing to kind of, you know, give advice, you know, point you in the right direction, uh, you know, help you get fitter, that sort of thing. So I, I really, really would recommend a local club. There are lots of uh, accessible clubs. All of the clubs that uh, I've ever met have been very, very friendly and you you know you can find them on British Cycling or just by searching Google for you know for you know, Bristol Cycling Club or wherever you live. Um, in terms of as I said, in terms of kind of road racing and criteriums, you, you know the kind of bunch skills are are often the kind of main limiting factor for most people starting out. If you're a competent cyclist, you probably have the fitness. It, it's it might be more about riding in a big bunch, and so. You know, working on on those things is going to pay real dividends. And you know, I think my last piece of advice would be that you you know, don't get caught up in the cycle of thinking that you know all the people who are really good at racing, whether it be in hill climbs, time trials, criteriums, road races, they're good at it because they have an expensive bike. That's very, 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 very much not the case. You know, you can be extremely competitive on you know. Basically, you know, in a in a road race or a criterium, you can be extremely competitive on basically any kind of you know well functioning, well maintained road bike, you know, to a degree. If you really are desperate to spend some money, I would think about your body position and your kind of clothing first before I went out and bought a new bike. If you have a nice bike and you know you want to spend lots of money on a nice bike, that's absolutely fine. And I would never <laughs> say you know I I love nice bikes. That's why you know I'm, I, I I you know applied for this job, but um. You know, if if you're racing it, there is always a risk that you might crash and break it. So, you know, there there is that kind of uh, old advice to only kind of race what you can afford to replace. And I think that that's quite a salient point. And, um, you know, certainly when I raced, you know, I raced a second hand bike with aluminium wheels. And, you know, my time trial bike is, a, you know, it's pretty much as, as, as cheap as they come. And it, it really isn't about kind of throwing money at the problem. You, you know, you you can be perfectly competitive on a basic setup. Mm. So yeah, take take what you've got and, and ultimately give it a go. And if it's for you, great. You know, racing is a, a lot of fun, as we've spoken about that kind of um, you know testing yourself and and trying to get better from from week to week, and you know hopefully meet some some more people that you can ride with uh, off the back of it. So you know do do give it a go, and hopefully this podcast has helped you um, find a race local to you and, and have some success there. Simon, let's wrap things up. It's been great to, to chat and draw upon your, your vast experience as a racer. Have you, have you got any races on, on the cards for the rest of the year? Uh, I haven't. I mean, the, obviously, it's just, we're just coming into hill climb season and generally I, I, I don't do too many hill climbs because I find the kind of the whole rigmarole of getting kind of yourself G'd up for an event that only lasts a couple of minutes, it, it, it's, it's never enough. I always end the race feeling like I, I wanted to do more or you know get more out of it. So... 
I haven't got too many races coming up actually, but um, you know, I'll probably start looking ahead to next year at some point. Maybe some of the the very keen hill climbers uh, in the bike radar team can can twist your arm, but yeah. at the very least, you can get out and, <laughs> and cheer them on. Exactly. Well, let's leave it there. Thank you very much for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. As I mentioned at the top, we'll include some links to related content uh, in the description to this pod. So do check those out if you want to know more. Equally, if you have any feedback for us or you want to suggest a, a guest or a topic, then email us at uh, podcast at bikeradar.com. We'd love to get your, your feedback and your suggestions. And do leave us a five-star rating and review on your podcast provider of choice. We'll leave it there. Thanks again for listening and we will speak to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 